having this time with you. Um, I actually, though I live in Hong Kong, I've been spending a bit of time with the kids and grandkids in Canada. So I flew from Vancouver on Thursday. So I'm still experiencing that horrible thing called jet lag. <laughs> but uh, looking forward to spending this time with you. Thank you for the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at that, that passage. You'll be asking the question, so what does it take to reach our world? I've, I've enjoyed riding on your, your metro, on your train, and uh, boy, the world has come to Sydney. Um, the, the numbers of, of ethnicities I was seeing just on, on the train. So how do we reach out to the people around us, those who are like us, those who are not like us? Uh, I trust we all agree that at least mentally, yes, that is the task that God has given us, the Great Commission. How do we go about that? And those are the things we want to grapple with this morning. And we'll try to be very practical. Have you ever been given a task that you said, that is just too big? I can't do that. Maybe it's in, in your, your job and you're given a project and that's impossible or in your school and your assignments. Just something that's bigger than you can do. In a sense, that's where Jesus is when we come into this passage. So you read this first verse, and, and this, this should be in your Bibles. I've got the text on the screen as well. So Jesus is going through the towns and villages, um, teaching in every synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. You need to picture, now this is hard to picture in Sydney, because Sydney is, what I've experienced so far, it's just this maze of city. Get yourself into a rural setting. If you've, if you've been into rural Asia, and the villages are scattered, and take out the transportation, so you're walking. So Jesus is walking from village to village, and in each one he goes to, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's explaining. How long is it going to take him? to go from through all these villages. So he looks at this situation. He looks at the crowd. He's got compassion. These are people with need. These are people that need the message that he has got. How is he going to reach them? And, and he, he views them as, as helpless, as harassed, as, as sheep without a shepherd. They should be being shepherded by the religious leaders. It's not happening. And he's concerned for that. So he turns to his, his disciples and says, we have to do something here. It's bigger than his little team. He says, pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into his harvest. And maybe you've had that, that sentence put before you. You've been challenged. Uh, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. The next thing Jesus does is he says to his disciples, and you, go. You will be the fulfillment of that prayer. And there's been a number of us that have had that experience of, of praying and God said, yep, good prayer, away you go. That still happens today. Jesus sends out the 12 in response to that request. The needs are out in the world today. The, the area that within the OMS sphere that I'm responsible for has got you know, about a billion and a half people. Um, with OMF, we focus on East Asia's people, so Mongolia down through Indonesia and everything in between. Uh, a massive part of the unreached world. And Jesus continues to call people to go into the world. Um, here in Sydney, much of the world has come here. Uh, people still need the Lord. This picture I've got out is just one of the groups of new workers that 
is going out with OMF. And I'm so glad that John and Beck are from this church. I didn't, I, I didn't click on that until I got here. Uh, been in their home, uh, sat in meetings together, strategized with them together. How do we go about reaching the part of the world that God has put within their sphere? So if we're going to reach the world, there's basically four things that I believe we need to know, four things that I want to pull out of this text. So we'll watch for them as we go together. The first thing is, we need to know what is that message we have? What are we going to share with people? And then we need to know, with whom? Who are the people that, that God is putting in our path or that are ready to hear this message? And then we do recognize that there is a cost. There's a cost to fulfilling this commission that God has given to us. But there's also the enabling. There's God's enabling. There's God's <laughs> presence. There's God going with us as we go about sharing this truth. So those are the things that we want to pick up as we walk through this text this morning. So going back to the text we've already looked at, and, and what we want to pick out now is what is that truth that we are to share? So Jesus is going through the towns and villages. He's teaching in their synagogue. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing the sicknesses and diseases. The good news of the kingdom. You jump down in, into verse chapter 10, verse 7, and Jesus says to his disciples, Now you go and you preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, let me ask you a question. Try going out after church and just walk up to somebody and say, I've got really good news for you. The kingdom of heaven is near. What kind of response are you going to get? Yeah, this person's, <laughs> something's wrong. Um, but if you were a Jew in Jesus' day, and somebody walked up to you and said, the kingdom of heaven is near, you go, whoa, I better smart enough and get ready. The king is coming. So this was very meaningful to the Jews. So the thing we have to ask ourselves is, what is a meaningful presentation today? I was traveling with a, a group of Filipino pastors way back in our early time, and somebody put up this big billboard. Jesus is the answer. So one of my pastor friends says, oh, Jesus is, is the answer. So what's the question? And we all kind of laughed. But as I thought of it, that was actually very insightful. Jesus is the answer. But what's the question? What's the question people are asking? And sadly, my own church experience is often the church is answering the question of the last generation not answering the question of this generation. Jesus is the answer. But what's the question? What are the people around you asking? So if we're going to know the truth that we need to share, we need to know what is good news. Jesus was preaching the good news of the kingdom. What is good news to people today? So let me take you into a couple contexts and help us think about that. This is Philippines, urban poor. Um, religiously, these people are Christian. It's a cultural Christianity. Um, they're poor, obviously. What would be good news for them? If I walked into that community, as I have done, <laughs> if I wanted to say I have really good news for you, 
what would I tell them? You just won a million pesos. Well, yeah, that's good news for a short time, but that'll be gone. What is really good news? Now, these people who are Christian in religion, if you ask them the next question, which I like to ask, um, and borrowing it from a, from a presentation that works nicely in the Philippines, uh, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And they would answer, well, I haven't killed anybody. I go to church. I've been baptized. So I hope I'm in. And I would say to them, well, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is that's not going to work. But the good news is Jesus offered you a way so you can be sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. And it's not by believing about Jesus. It's by trusting in Jesus, trusting that he paid the price for your sin. And that is where you'll have assurance of heaven. So that would be good news for these people. Actually, there's another issue they face. Most of them are dealing with a very dark spirit world. And so when the kids get sick, they go to a practitioner and they'll pay some money and they'll do some kind of incantation. And it's actually very miserable. Um, Good news for them is that Jesus has power over that spirit world. And they can be released from that. So that's just one example. Good news for these people. Let me me take you to another group. These are the E people in, in China. I just chose them as an example. I'm more familiar with the tribal people in the Philippines. What's good news to a, you know, an indigenous group, a tribal person, whose worldview usually is around, they're very much a spirit world, and the spirits are oppressive, and what is good news for them? Good news for them starts very clearly in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God God created the heaven and the earth. And God made this beautiful world that these people live in and enjoy. But early on in that creation, there's a group that rebelled. There's a group of angels that rebelled. And they get kicked out of heaven. And they have become the spirit of the river, the spirit of the rock, the spirit of the fields. And they are usurping spirits. They are taking from you what God made for you. And you watch these tribal people and lights go on. They go, oh, we've been lied to. (laughs) Because they're doing all these things that they have to do for the spirits to try to live in harmony in this world. And when they find out that these are liars and that actually God made this world for them, yeah, that's good news for these people. And then we travel from there to introduce them to Jesus. How about the Muslim people? I lived in a Muslim home. Very good friends with these people. What is good news to them? I find that when I, when I try to engage them about Islam, Christianity, uh, they, they've got all the pat answers. We don't get very far. The home I lived in, I, I met the man, the father of the house. He was very sick. I came back a month later. He was dead. Um, the spirits had killed him. And his wife invited us to move into the home. So we moved into the home. And he began to tell us a story about his, his sickness and, and the interaction with the spirits. And I said to them, you know, I, I've seen 
this exact same thing in other parts of the Philippines. But I said, in, in the name of Jesus, we ask that those spirits be driven out and the people were healed. And this Muslim family said to me, if only you could have been here sooner, you could have helped us. So here they are with a religion that they believe in passionately, but they have no way of dealing with this miserable spirit world. Jesus is the answer. And from that starting point, you can move on to the rest of the message. Interesting, I didn't realize when I put this picture in, um, John and Beck live half a block from here, or did, until they just moved. Um, that's where I visited them last time. Okay, so what's good news in Beijing? What is good news to a people who have been told that everything can be explained through science, there is no God, um, science and, and human wisdom can work everything out? What is good news to them? And, and what I'm told, because I don't have as much personal experience, is un unlike with the tribal person where I would start my journey with there is a creator God who made it all, with them I talk about Jesus. Because that's, that's an interest person for them. And spend time helping them get to know who this Jesus is. Interesting, with the Muslim as well, I will also spend time talking about Jesus. Because they believe in Jesus as their prophet. They just don't know actually who he is. So with both these groups, I would spend time talking about Jesus. And we go on. Let's go to Hanoi. And, and you ask the same question. What is the question that's in people's minds to which Jesus will be the ultimate answer? And then go into the context where each of you live. Uh, each, each person needs to journey to Christ, and Jesus takes them to the Father. But we need to find those starting points to which Jesus is the answer. There's, there's two pieces to the message, though. There's, there's the words, there's the explanations, which we should have, and they should be fresh, and, and we should be so living in the Word of God that, that those answers are there. But there's also the demonstrations. You, you notice that Jesus, not only did he preach the good news of the kingdom, but he also healed every disease and every sickness. So he was touching human need. He said to his disciples, chapter 10, verse 1, called the 12 to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Not only did he say, go preach, he said, go do. Because the message that we have is also a message of action. It is lived out, it's worked out. It touches people, people's lives in their areas of need. He said in verse, in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosies, um, drive out the demons, freely receive, freely give. So he equipped them to do the works of the kingdom. And I just want to comment a little bit on, on that last part about driving out demons. And, and I don't know the experience here, and I don't know your experience. But I've seen things that really concern me, where people are dealing with the very active spirit world. Uh, I've seen people living in fear. I've seen Christians living in fear. I've seen Christians doing things that I think are total nonsense. 
Jesus said, I give you authority. Let me take it into a, a personal example, not of the spirit world, but the whole issue of authority. When I began my, my working life, I was working for an oil company, just a small distributor. Uh, sometimes my boss would send me out to do collections of, of our clients. Um, I was very a very shy person, didn't like to talk to people. And yet all of a sudden I, I would discover myself walking into somebody's office, laying a bill in front of them and saying, hey, <laughs> and I'll be standing here until I can collect the check. And I thought, where did that come from? And I realized I'm standing before this guy with a company logo on my shirt. It's not me standing there. It's the company. I had their authority. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. When you are confronted with the demons, when you're confronted with different things, don't worry about it. You stand in my authority. You're protected in my authority. You are empowered in my authority. And if any of you ever have that experience of having to deal with the spirit world, no reason to fear. We are clothed in Christ. We stand with his authority. And it's that authority in which we act. So we ask this question. So, so who is qualified? Who, who should be sharing this good news about Jesus? And I, I find so many people wanting to excuse themselves. Well, I can't because, you know, I haven't studied yet. I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't, whatever the I haven't is that they put in there. Take a look at this list of names. And we read it very quickly. Um, and don't dig very far into it. I've led a lot of teams. I look at this group of guys and I go, oh boy, <laughs> this would be a challenge. You've got two sets of brothers. That can be great, or it can be they can either fight each other or they can gang up and against the others. And they did. The one that really catches my attention is you've got Matthew, the tax collector, and you've got Simon, the zealot. So Matthew comes from the most corrupt department of government at that time. Everybody knew they were notorious. And then you've got Simon, who is the anti-government activist. So what happens when you put an anti-government activist into a team with a government worker from the most the corrupt department of government? How is that supposed to work? There's a really interesting verse in, in Acts 4 where after Jesus has died and the disciples now are on their own but not on their own because the Spirit is with them. And they're boldly proclaiming. And the religious leaders... Note that these guys have no education, but they note that they have been with Jesus. And that's what makes a difference. So the question I ask you, the challenge I put to you is, how much time are you spending with Jesus? That's the qualifier. That's the equipper. If, if I'm going to be giving good news to somebody, I better have spent time with Jesus my own personal time. Fantastic that we're here. We are called to come together in community as we are this morning. But we need to spend our own private time with Jesus. We need to spend our small group time with Jesus. That's what equips us. That's what gives us the right and the authority 
to be sharing this good news. So how do we find the people that are prepared to hear the good news that we have? Jesus sent out the 12 with the following instructions. Do not go to the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Rather exclusive. How many Jews do we have here this morning? Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> Me neither. So all of us are excluded. At that particular time, Jesus said, focus. Focus on the Jewish community. Later he said, okay, it's everybody. Go to all nations. But at this point in time, he said, focus on the Jews. And that's why the kingdom of heaven is near made perfect sense. Later, when the focus became much wider, the, the way of explaining the gospel had to be fitted to other groups of people. So how do we find a particular people whose heart God is preparing? When you enter a town or village, search for some worthy person there and stay at his home until you leave. Well, how do you find that worthy person? We, we have walked through communities, and, and especially if you're in a rural community and everybody is outside, um, and we'll walk through and be praying, and somebody will kind of engage with us and, and welcome us. and Come on in and have coffee or whatever it is, and you begin to chat. And what you're finding is there are people that God is already working in their heart, and we're looking for those people. Now, we, we engage widely, but we look for those that God is already doing something in their life. And they become these, these worthy people. Um, and in their case, where they were walking from village to village, they actually would stay in these people's homes um, and, and share the message with them. So we're looking for those door openers. And, and God has them placed all over the place. They're ne networkers. They're, they're people that just engage with others. And when those people say, come, I've, I've seen it be the, the um, tribal leaders. I have seen it, um, a lady who had been a drug pusher. Um, her family was a mess. She is now separated from her husband. Her kids are in all kinds of mess. This lady came to the Lord um, in one of those squatter communities that I showed you. Man, was she influential. And she was leading other people to Christ. So, so she was the one whose heart God had prepared. An unlikely person. Probably something I would have walked past. And, yeah, this lady's got no interest in the gospel. So sometimes we have to be very careful who we discount. Because we may be discounting people whose heart God is working. And we need to talk to these people and just see how they respond. Um, engage with them. And they become the door openers. Now, Jesus does warn them that it's not exactly an easy task he's calling us to. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Therefore, be as innocent, as shrewd as snakes, and innocent as doves. Now, I don't know your um, background and your experience with nature and wild animals. The parts of Canada I come from, very familiar with wolves. When a wolf meets a sheep, there's one outcome. <laughs> one very satisfied wolf and one dead sheep. Jesus said, 
I am sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. That's, that's not highly comforting. But he says, as you go in your vulnerability, be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. And I've had this experience of going into really tough, antagonistic situations. And you do seek to think through ahead of time, so how can I go? And, and, and I mentioned some of the challenges right now in China. And our folks that are there, the local believers that are there, have to be very wise how they conduct themselves. But Jesus said, I am sending you out into those situations. So be wise. But he also says, verse 17, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils. Okay, it's not this might happen. They will hand you over to local councils. In China, we call it drinking tea. Most of you won't know what that means, but when you get an invitation from the government authorities to come and drink tea, you're in for it. You're going to get a really tough interrogation. When you stand before the local councils, and they flog you in a synagogue, so some of them are going to take a bit of a beating on account of you You'll be brought, or on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witness to them and to the Gentiles. And, and what he says is, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because he said, I will put my words in your mouth. And I have experienced it, and I can tell you lots of stories of, of those who have experienced it. I walked into a, a Muslim community one day. I was looking for... I wanted to, uh, I was looking for a home for one of our workers, new workers, wanted to get them in his community. And I remember these guys, the guardians of the community, and they were in my face. What are you doing here? Who are you? And I said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus has called me to share his teaching. And they said, Okay. And just basically, the Lord's wisdom to use terminology that they could understand, they completely backed off. Um, Muslim lady, not educated, and gets called before the council. And they're demanding that she recant, turn away from her faith. No way. There's a lady I talked to in, in Hong Kong just a few weeks back, and she's um, an Indonesian who came to Christ in, in Hong Kong, went back home. Um, when her mother found out, her mother grabbed her suitcases, burned everything she owned, and threw her out. Took the inheritance that this girl should have as the oldest daughter and gave it to the mosque. And said, You're, I want nothing to do with you. And yet I sit and talk to this lady, and, and she's, she's confident in the Lord. She's sure of what she is believing. She has since led her father to the Lord, and her brother, not yet her mother. But just that confidence that the Lord gives the words to speak in those kind of situations. So these are the questions we ask when we stand in these different contexts. So this, I'm sure you're familiar with what this is. This is North Korea. What do our folks do that live in this country? 
where, where the governmental system, and, and there's a number of countries I could take you into, where the government system is so adamantly anti-Christ. We're, we're being told in China, the government says, we, we're okay with Christians, but we do not like the fact that, that you are exclusive and that you're expansionistic. That's using their terms. What does that mean? That you say Jesus is the only way and that you want other people to receive him. Well, yes, that is us. <laughs> we do believe Jesus is the only way and we do want other people to receive him. And so we, we walk into those contexts and the Lord is with us. We, we face these, these strong ideologies, as I explained to you, and you come before and, and, and they're just at you, confronting you. And I've been in a number of situations. There was one where I was, I was outside and, and I had a guest with us who wasn't understanding the conversation because the conversation was taking place in Tagalog. Um, he was sweating it. <laughs> he thought we were at the end of our journey of life. Um, but just God, God gives the words how to graciously respond, but words of wisdom into those kind of contexts. And that's, that's what Jesus is promising. And sometimes the cost is very serious. I got a phone call, one of those horrible phone calls. I've received them twice. In this case, John has been shot. John was, I'd been in Bible college with him. Um, he'd married. I'd gone out ahead. He was now out in our area. Um, I had left that particular Muslim area, moved across the, the, the island. And he was there with his wife and, and another one of our close co-workers. And somebody walked up behind him and put a bullet in the back of his head. I remember, I remember when that call came and I said, God, where were you? And it was one of those few times where the answer was immediate. And the answer was right there. When John's body hit the ground, I was right there. It's hard to process. Quite a number of years later, Brenda said, I want to go back the place where John died, Brenda's wife. She hadn't seen the exact spot. I said, I know where it is. I saw the blood on the ground. I'll take you back. So I took her back. Her kids now growing up. They were one and two when their father died. And they, they were weeping. But I remember the night, the day after John died, and we gathered in, in the local church. And Brenda said to those gathered and to the city, I forgive the man who shot my husband. And God gave her that grace to do that. In those early days, we were seeing very little fruit in this area. Today, we're in the hundreds and possibly in the thousands of believers. So there are times that the cost is as great as that. And yet God is building his church. Now, I, I don't want to say this to scare anybody. The promise is that he is with us. I remember the, this, the other occasion where one of our workers was shot and the next night I'm standing in front of his casket. His wife is here, his daughter, his mother, his angry uncle, and our team. And their minds are just spinning. What do you say to a group like this? And, and I said to them, I said, we all want to ask the question, why? Why was Ray well shot? And I said, that's a question that God doesn't promise to answer. The question he does answer is who? Who is God? 
And what about the nature of God that gives us some understanding of this? So some of our coworkers have laid down their lives. Others have, have been touched very deeply in other ways. But what we have, and the world does not have, is a God who is with us, is a spirit that never leaves us. Jesus said, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say. At that time, you will be given, it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your Father will be speaking through you. And that is my experience, and that is the experience of anybody who has stood the ground in this confrontation. That God, by his spirit, gives us the words to speak, words that we know are not our words, but have come very clearly from God. So how do we wrap up? Here we sit. We're in Sydney. Life is maybe comfortable. I don't know. Jesus is still sending out disciples. If we are his disciples, we are sent, whether that sent is across the street or across the world. We go in his authority. We're not sent out alone. We go in his authority, protected by him. We have a message to share. And we need to do a bit of work to understand how that message can be articulated. The, the street I've just moved on to in Canada, I'm a very much a minority. Um, majority are Sikhs from northwest India. I've got some research to do. What is the good news to a Sikh? We have a love to demonstrate. We don't only have words to speak. As Christians, we must not just speak words. We must demonstrate the truths of the gospel through the actions. There will be opposition. We will face opposition. But Jesus said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So as we go into what he calls us to, we go in his name. So the challenge I have to myself and to all of us this morning, who is it he's calling us to share this good news with? Not be fearful, but go because he's with us. And, and I can stand here 38 years after having left Canada the first time, and I can tell you, every promise that Jesus made, he is faithful to. And it is an exciting journey to walk in faith and be his instrument. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord give you courage to reach the world that he puts in front of you. Thank you very much.